Heavenly Father, it is a, a wonderful privilege to be gathered here this morning as your people and to have your word before us. We do not gather to speak words of man to one another, but we gather together to hear from you. And it is a wonderful thing that you speak by your word and you speak as your word is preached. Lord, may you be speaking to all of us this morning. May your word challenge us and confront us with the man, Jesus Christ, who he was, and may we be able to understand him better as we look into your word this morning. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, I do like pop songs, but some pop songs do annoy me. And one in particular always has annoyed me, ever since I was a little kid. Uh, I used to hear this one played, and the lines in it go, There's a little boy standing at the counter of the corner shop. He's been waiting down there, waiting half the day. They never see him from the top. He gets pushed around, knocked to the ground. He gets to his feet and he says, What about me? It isn't fair. I've had enough. Now I want my share. Can't you see? And I don't know why. I think you're supposed to have sympathy for the little boy. But ever since I was a little boy and I heard this song, I've always thought, what a bratty little kid, talking back to the, to the shop owner saying, I want my share. What about me? It isn't fair. I've had enough. Now I want my share. But it does illustrate that we all know what it means to want fairness, to want people to treat us fairly. And this little boy, he thinks that he hasn't been treated fairly in the corner shop and so he demands fairness. He demands that people treat him rightly. And this morning I want to look at that subject of fairness but I want to look at it in light of the trial of Jesus Christ. I want to look at Jesus and his trial that we read about in John's Gospel here and look at whether it was fair or not. And so my first main point this morning, and if you're following along with the bulletin there, I've got them on the back there, the three main points this morning. My first main point is that Jesus is not given a fair trial. Jesus' trial was not fair. Now why would I say that from the passage that we're looking at in John chapter 18? Well, there's a number of clues that are there in the passage as to why Jesus wasn't treated fairly. Firstly, they take him, they take Jesus after they arrest him to someone who really shouldn't be interrogating Jesus at all and that is Annas. We read in John chapter 18 of verse 12 of Jesus' arrest and then where they take him. If you've got a Black Church Pew Bible, it's on page 1071 and I encourage you to have it open there in front of you if you've got a Bible as we'll be working through the passage together. We see Jesus arrested in verse 12. Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Why did they bring him to Annas? If they're going to have a court proceeding, then they need to go to the high priest. They need to have the high priest make a judgment as he holds court about whether Jesus is in the right or in the wrong. But here they bring him to Annas. Why do they bring him to Annas? Why not go straight to Caiaphas? Well, the thing is, Annas was previously high priest, but then the Romans deposed him because uh, they didn't like what he was doing. He he broke one of their regulations about what uh, he was supposed to be doing, and so they deposed him. 
but he still held a lot of power with the Jewish people. See, the Romans deposed high priests and put new ones in place on a regular basis, but Jewish teaching was that a high priest is high priest for life. And so if Annas was high priest once, then he was recognised as high priest by the Jews no matter what the Romans did. And so Annas was still treated by the Jews as a man of great power and really the high priest. And he actually did possess great power. After him, five of his sons were high priests. And notice who is currently the high priest when Jesus is arrested. He's not a son of Annas, but he is the father, uh, Annas is the father-in-law of the current high priest. He's got family connections always going on and he's linking to the high priest. And so he's a man of great power in the Jewish community. He is someone who is feared because of all the power that he has with the high priesthood. He's a Sadducee and so he can get doors open and do things to people because of his great power. And so they bring Jesus to him because really if anything is going to happen to Jesus from the Jews they need Annas' stamp of approval because he really, even though he's not officially in the, in the part, he's the guy behind the scenes who is there controlling everything. Kind of like you see in some movies with mafia. That there's people on the front but then there's the godfather at the back who, who, who doesn't really get out into the front line but he is the guy who's in charge. And everybody knows that and even if he's old and a bit feeble they still recognise that if the godfather says this then it's going to take place. And so they're bringing Jesus to basically the Godfather. They're bringing him to Annas, the guy who is really in charge, even if he's not officially in charge. And this isn't fair to Jesus. They're bringing Jesus to someone who isn't in charge. They're bringing him to someone who is a powerful man who is going to intimidate Jesus, who is going to question Jesus and interrogate him and probably throw his Uh, his power around, his weight around upon Jesus and get Jesus to slip up in some way. It's unfair what they're doing to Jesus here by taking him to this powerful Annas when that's not the legal proceeding at all. He should be taken to Caiaphas, the current high priest. That's one reason why it's not a fair trial. A second reason it's not a fair trial because they've already decided the verdict before they even hold the courtroom case, they've already decided what they're going to do to Jesus. And we see this in verse 14, where we are reminded of what took place in chapter 11. Verse 14 of chapter 18 says, Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it would be good if one man died for the people. And so that's a reference back to uh, the the meeting that the, the priests called in John chapter 11, where they decided, yep, we've got to kill Jesus. So this is completely an unfair way to go about justice, isn't it? Before the man is even tried, you've already decided what you're going to do to him. They're going to kill him, regardless of what happens. We're going to make sure he dies. So it's not a fair trial. Another reason why it's unfair is because they ask the accused, that is Jesus, to incriminate himself about his disciples and his teachings. That's where we we flip over the page, if you've got a Black Church Pew Bible, and go to verse 19. There's that interruption there that we have with Peter uh, denying Jesus, which we looked at last year just before Easter. Uh, But we jump to verse 19 where we see Annas continuing to question Jesus. 
It says there in verse 19, Meanwhile the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. John calls him the high priest there because, as most Jews recognise Annas as still the high priest in some way, uh, that's why he refers to him as the high priest there. It's not that he's being to Caiaphas now because down in verse 24 it says, Then Annas sent him still bound to Caiaphas the high priest. So this whole section is Annas interrogating Jesus. And that's what's wrong. That's what makes it unfair is that they're interrogating Jesus. They're asking him to make statements about what his disciples are doing and what he has been teaching. And that is wrong. If you arrest someone, you've got to have some grounds for the arrest. You've got to have some witness against the person. That is currently today the situation. The police can't just take you off the street for no reason. They have to have someone who has witnessed something that you have done that deserves your arrest. And it was the same in Jesus' day. You couldn't just simply arrest someone without any witnesses being there to say why this person deserved to be arrested. And so they're not following their own legal proceedings by making sure that there's witnesses here to say what Jesus has done wrong. Instead they're getting stuck into Jesus and trying to get him to say something that they'll then be able to testify themselves later on about what Jesus has said while they were interrogating him rather than going the other way around. When Jesus has said something in public, someone witnesses it, they come in, they arrest him and they have the witnesses there to say, this man said this. No, they get stuck into Jesus and try to get him to slip up in his words and make some sort of statement that they can use against him. And this is complete hypocrisy that they're doing here because they know that a man can't testify about himself according to their laws. And we've seen it earlier in John's Gospel. We haven't been working through John's Gospel ourselves, but if you've read John's Gospel, you you would have seen it. Go back with me to chapter 8 of John's Gospel. John's Gospel, chapter 8. Verse 12. A couple of pages back, page 1059 of the Church Pew Bibles. It says there, verse 12, When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And what did the Pharisees do? The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. They're saying, you're your own witness, so it's not valid. Yet, a few pages over, a little bit later in the time of Jesus, chapter 18, they're making him testify about himself, when previously they wouldn't accept his testimony about himself. They're hypocrites here. They aren't getting the witnesses. They're instead trying to get Jesus to slip up in what he said. It is an unfair trial that is taking place here. And then what makes even this even worse, is not just their hypocrisy, but what makes it worse is that witnesses were readily available. It's not like Jesus did some backroom deals and was very secretive about what he taught. He was very open about what he believes. And this is what he does in verse 20. He says this. He defends himself by saying, verse 20, I have spoken openly, openly to the world, to everyone. Jesus replied, I always taught in the synagogues or at the temple where not just some Jews come together, all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. My words are out there 
people, many, many, many people have heard them. If you want to know what I've said, get witnesses in. You know the legal proceedings. You're meant to have witnesses here. This is unfair what is taking place. And so he says, verse 21, Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. There are people out there. And one translation that is very possible in verse 21 where it says, Surely they know what I said. One translation of the Greek there is, Behold, these know. These people who are right here witnessing what is going on in this courtroom These people know. There are witnesses right here who have heard what I've said. Ask them what I've said. Don't ask me. But instead, they want to just interrogate Jesus. And then another reason why it's unfair is they ask about his disciples. They go after the disciples rather than Jesus. And that's what we see in in, uh, verse 19. Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Yet Jesus established back in the garden when they arrested him that, who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. Oh, I'm here. Let these people go. You, you haven't got a beef with the disciples, have you? Okay, let them go. But instead, the high priest here is trying to find something wrong with Jesus in some way and he'll try and bring in, if he can find something wrong with the disciples, then that'll contaminate Jesus and give us some grounds to arrest him and to, to put him to death. And so they go after the disciples. And then, why else is it unfair what they're doing to Jesus? They allow abuse and intimidation of the accused. And we see this in verse 22. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby struck him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest, he demanded? They're intimidating the witness. They've got him in. Well, they're intimidating the arrested person. They're, They're striking him to try and intimidate him so that he will admit to something that he hasn't done. And we know that this is wrong in the way that police proceedings happen today. You don't bring someone in and then punch them up. You do the whole good cop, bad cop routine to try and get, convince them to, to, to crack under the pressure. But you aren't supposed to start belting the witness to get them to confess to something. But they're doing that here with Jesus. They're belting him up so that he will start to be intimidated. And Jesus doesn't take it. He says, verse 23, If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? Yes, it is wrong to say something, curse the high priest, is there in the Old Testament that you're meant to honour the high priest. But Jesus hasn't said anything wrong. All he said is, get some witnesses. Go about this the right way. And so he's just calling them to do the right thing. And yet they're going to start punching him in the face for it. It's not a fair trial that is going on here. And so they have this unfair trial and what do they do? They send him on still bound, verse 24, to some other people to give him a further uh, unrighteous trial. Verse 24, then Anna sent him still bound to Caiaphas the high priest. Jesus is not given a fair trial here at all. Why don't they give him a fair trial? Well, they clearly know he is innocent. He hasn't done anything wrong. If he had done something wrong, they would have got the witnesses in. But they know they have to use other means if they're going to kill Jesus because he is clearly innocent here. My second main point then is Jesus is still not given a fair trial. We've established that in the past Jesus wasn't given a fair trial. Now I want to point out the fact that Jesus is still not given a fair trial today. 
Like Annas, people have prejudged Jesus and don't give him a fair trial. They make up their minds about what they're going to do to Jesus before they actually hear from him themselves or they study him. Caiaphas and Annas had already decided we're going to kill Jesus and many people today still do the same thing. They don't know much about Jesus. All they know is they don't want a bar of him. They're ready to have the verdict already placed upon him. They don't come to Jesus with an open mind. Instead, they make the decision before they even hear from him themselves and they don't give him a fair trial. And like Annas is not interested in listening to witnesses about Jesus, people today still don't give Jesus a fair trial by listening to witnesses about Jesus. There are many witnesses that are around us today about Jesus. There are basically four witnesses that we, we refer to as to what we establish uh, our, our world view upon. Four things that people will establish uh, their world view upon. That's uh, reason, experience, tradition and the scriptures. People will listen to reason. So they, they, they think about uh, what is reasonable and then they establish whether they believe or not upon reason. And that is true with Christianity. We can use reason to establish whether there might be a God and whether he has spoken to us. It is reasonable that if there is a God that he has communicated with us in some way but people don't listen to that witness or they don't listen to the witness of experience that they experience some things around certain Christians. They see the good works that they do and they think that person really is quite different and they experience that difference in the workplace or in the family but they don't want to listen that it's because they're a Christian. Or tradition. They read a bit of history and they read how many people have embraced Christianity in the past, but they don't want to listen to that, that, uh, that witness there that is of tradition. And then lastly, they really don't want to listen to the greatest witness of all, the one witness that surpasses all the other witnesses, that of the scriptures themselves. They don't want to look into the scriptures. They don't want to hear of them as a reliable source of information about Jesus Christ. They don't want to read them. But it is a very reliable witness about Jesus Christ. There are many factors about the Bible as a historical document that show it is true, that it really did happen, what we see here happening to Jesus and what Jesus said really did take place. For example, whenever you look at a historical document, you look at how close to the time it, uh, of the event it was written. So if it's written 2,000 years after the event occurred, it's not such a reliable witness, that document that you're reading. But if something is written you know, 10, 20, 30 years after the events occurred, it's seen to be much more reliable. <clears throat> and many of the Gospels and pretty much the whole New Testament is written by the end of the first century. It is a very reliable document because it's so close to the time. The other way that we look at a document, whether it's reliable, is do we have many copies of it? And the Bible, the New Testament, we have 20,000 copies of it in different languages, but a very, um, we have multiple, multiple copies that we can compare and try and work out, okay, which, what was originally written, and we can compare them together. Things like uh, Julius Caesar and his, his wars, there's a long date afterwards and it's very few copies that we have, yet people trust them as an authentic account about what Julius Caesar did from the writings that exist. But the Bible surpasses that in so many ways because it has many copies and it's written so close to the time. 
And then we see, as you read it, that there's no errors within it, that it all meshes together in one wholesome piece. It establishes itself. There aren't errors, and so it's a reliable document. And it also matches up with things outside. Archaeology, as we dig stuff up, we recognise that the Bible is true because the archaeology confirms what is there in the scripture. The scriptures are an incredibly reliable witness, but people don't want to listen to the witness of the scriptures. They don't want to give Jesus a fair trial in their own minds and listen to the witness of Jesus. And it's not that they can claim that somehow Christianity is some sort of secret religion that hasn't been proclaimed. Jesus says, I've spoken to everyone in his day. I've spoken openly. And it's the same today. Christianity is not some sort of secret cult. It is open for people to hear about. The scriptures are readily available with the internet in some parts of the world where it previously was very hard to get Bibles in. People can read the Bible online now. The Bible has gone out. Christians are all around. And so it is readily available what is taught here. It's not like the witnesses are few and far between and so it's hard to hear the witness. No, it's out there. And so we've got to remember that Christianity is there. It's not a secret thing. Whenever you hear about a religion that is a very secret religion, smell a rat. It's got nothing to do with Christianity. This is where I'm not interested in following Freemasonry into all the intricacies. You can find books where Freemasons have come out and they've told what goes on with Freemasons and I... I just can't, it may make for interesting reading, but I just can't be bothered pursuing it because the fact that it is a secret cult shows that it has nothing to do with Christianity. Christianity is open for the taking. And same with Scientology. That's another one where the more you pay, the higher you go up. And I can't be bothered finding out about Thetans and, and whether we came from aliens out of space and this kind of thing and what Scientology teaches. The fact that it's a hidden religion says it's got nothing to do with Christianity. God is very open and has witnesses readily available for you to hear and to heed. But people don't want to give him a fair trial and look at the word. And people today like catching Jesus out, just like uh, uh, in Annas, uh, and with Annas, he was interrogating Jesus, trying to catch Jesus slipping up, and they do the same with Jesus and his word. They don't treat it with, uh, they don't treat it as a reliable document that they're coming to and assume innocence until proven guilty. They assume guilt. And they go through and deliberately look for errors. They don't come with an open mind. They instead interrogate Jesus with the standard that they would hate to be interrogated themselves. We all want people to assume innocence about us and then prove us guilty if they find something. But when it comes to the word of God and to Jesus, no, he's definitely guilty and I will find something wrong with him, just like Annas is trying to catch Jesus out. Or people get caught up with talking about Jesus' disciples. Just like Annas is interrogating him about Jesus' disciples, the best way to, to wipe away Jesus is to pick on the Christians, to say, look at the Christians, look how terrible they are, the sexual immorality that goes on, they're divorcing as much as the, the secular people. Uh, there's, there's so much wrong with Christians. And so they say, I don't want anything to do with Jesus. And so they pick on the disciples where they can find sins. Uh, Christians are not free from sin in this world and so it's very easy to wipe away Christianity, Jesus, the Bible by just simply going after the disciples instead 
And then lastly, they also resort to violence. Just like Jesus got hit in the mouth to shut him up and to treat him unfairly, people do the same today. They don't like Jesus, they don't give him a fair trial and they continue to be unfair to him by hitting his people. Jesus says, when you hit my people, when you persecute my people, you are persecuting me. And people persecute Jesus Christ today by treating him unfairly and then trying to shut him up, hitting him, killing Christians, destroying the word of God, burning it to try and shut the witnesses up. They continue to be unfair. So we've seen that in the past Jesus wasn't given a fair trial. We've seen that he still isn't. My last main point is that Jesus will give you a fair trial. Judgment Day is coming and not the Judgment Day of Terminator. Jill and I just watched the Terminators all again, all four of them, and it's Judgment Day is talked about repeatedly in that movie. Not the Judgment Day where nuclear warheads come and explode indiscriminately upon people. No, a fair Judgment Day is coming where Jesus will judge sinful humans. And unlike sinful humans, that trial will be fair. Everyone will be treated fairly. He will open up books where he has recorded everything that you have done and your own conscience will witness about whether you've done the right thing or the wrong thing. Now that may be comforting to you to think that Jesus will give you a fair trial. But if you're honest, you know how much you've sinned, how much you've gone against your conscience, how much you've gone against God over your lives. And so you should really fear the fair trial of Jesus coming. We will all be found guilty and Judgment Day will be a terrible day. But there is hope. There is hope. If you give Jesus a fair trial, on Judgment Day you'll be given a fair trial and found to be righteous. Instead of your sins, you'll be found to be a righteous person and the sins will not be credited to your account. Now how does that work? I've said it will be a fair trial. How can, if you give Jesus a fair trial, that means all your sins are wiped away? That would be unfair of God on Judgment Day. Well, if you give Jesus a fair trial, if you listen to the scriptures, if you examine them carefully, if you give him a truly fair trial, come with an open mind, I am convinced that you will be convinced that Jesus really is God, he really did exist, and he really did die for sinners. And so if you repent of your sins and believe in Jesus Christ, you will be saved. And it's a fair trial that happens on Judgment Day to Christians and non-Christians alike because the punishment is met. The punishment for sins is either imputed on Jesus when you believe and trust in him or it will be you that is punished for an eternity in hell. So there will be a group of people who go into heaven, not because the punishment was never laid out, but because it was laid out on Jesus Christ instead. And there will be a group of people who go to hell because their punishment has never taken place and it will take place for them personally in hell. Have you given Jesus a fair trial? Is why you don't believe in Jesus and Christianity because you have given Jesus a fair trial and you found that he is wanting, that he isn't the answer? Or is it because you never sat down and given him that fair trial, come to the scriptures with an open mind to look into them and what they say about Christ?
If you've never given him a fair trial, fear the fair trial that he will give you. Your sins will be shown forth and you will be punished for what you have done. Give Jesus a fair trial today. Examine the scriptures. Go home this afternoon. Read the Gospels and look at what it says about Christ and about his death and what it means. Give him a fair trial so that on Judgment Day when you are given a fair trial the punishment that you deserve will have been on Christ and him. And if you are a Christian are you continuing to treat Christ fairly? When you have a problem with something that the Bible says is it because you've got a prejudice against it and your feelings don't like what is being said? Or do you come to the scriptures with an open mind? Do you treat Jesus fairly? You've treated him fairly in the past by taking his death for yourself. Do you continue to show fairness to Jesus? Or are you like Annas and Caiaphas and treat him unfairly? I hope that all of us in this room have given Jesus a fair trial and will continue to treat him fairly and not be like Annas and Caiaphas. Let us speak with him now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your Son into the world and we look at the sinfulness of humans who would take the God who made them and treat him unfairly. Lord, we thank you that you sent him so that he would be treated unfairly and so that he would take our punishment for us. Lord, we pray that we may all give Jesus the fair trial that he deserves and put our trust in him for our sins and look forward to that judgment day where we stand before the throne of God and are declared righteous before him because of the work of Jesus, because we have given him a fair trial and put our faith and trust in him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.